Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and today we're speaking with Elizabeth Bard. Elizabeth is the author of two delicious food memoirs. Her first, Lunch, Lunch in Paris, A Love Story with Recipes, became a national bestseller. And her second, Picnic in Provence, a, mem- a memoir with recipes, is available now. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Crystal. It's great to be here. You know, in your first book, Lunch in Paris, it became a bestseller and has sort of what I feel is one of the best opening chapters I've read in a memoir. You combine love and food and sex and Paris all at once. And I think it's the way you describe how you sort of eat and make make things look and, and how it reacts on the plate. And it just makes it such a juicy read. And Picnic in Provence is really sort of the continuation of Lunch in Paris as you navigate your new life. How was it, how different was it to sort of switch from the busy lifestyle in Paris to sort of southern France? Well, I'm kind of a city girl by by nature, um, but I so I do have to go back to Paris and go back to New York on occasion to kind of get my sushi fix and my museum fix and my window <laughs> shopping fix. But um, but I, I think, you know, Provence is, it, it was a wonderful sort of set of unexpected choices for us. And, and I think we may have, we may have slightly missed the relaxing part of Provence because very soon after coming here, my husband and I started uh, a business. We started an, a Scaramouche, an artisan ice cream business down here. So we're actually busier than I've ever been in my entire life. Like we <laughs> work more hours than I've ever, than any New York lawyer that I've ever known. You know, it, it, so I think we, we may have slightly missed the relaxing part of, uh, of Provence, but it's, you know, it's um, chasing the dream. So it doesn't, you know, you know, most days it, it, it feels like chasing the dream. So. And what really, I mean, what really inspired you to write, food memoir of all of all the types of memoir there is you know um this to me was the the most perfect sort of memoir for food foodies and and people that are just big fans of paris and and that sort of dream lifestyle what made you want to write about food and memoir well i think that probably as soon as i I got into an international relationship with my with my soon to be French husband when I moved to Paris in 2002 I was doing some art journalism at that point I'm I'm trained as an art historian and and I I think I knew almost as soon as I arrived in Paris that I wanted to write about international living write about intercultural relationships because it's such a roller coaster and and when I when I kind of sat down to think about how I really learned about France, what were the really what were the key moments of my discovery of French culture, almost everything that I came up with revolved around food, around a meal, around a recipe, around a trip to the market, around going on vacation with my in-laws, about meeting family and friends. And and so almost everything that helped me discover French culture, I, I kind of discovered what they call in France autour de la table, right, around the, the table. And mm-hmm. so 
the recipes just kind of fit. It was a very, very natural structure for the book. And, and once I decided to focus on those food experience, experiences, the rest of the structure kind of fell into place. And I sort of, I love how you, in each of the books, there's story and then there's several recipes that were mentioned in that chapter. And it sort of feels like somebody's inviting you into their home and cooking for you as you read. Did you always plan to write memoir and bring the recipes into it as well? I, I'm, I'm not sure that I, that I always plan to write anything. I, um, I always wrote in whatever, uh, environment that I was in and whatever job that I had, writing was always a part of it. But um, I think I've always used food to discover other cultures. Like I was always that kid that when you went on a trip somewhere, wanted to go into the, the foreign supermarket and look at the weird tins of octopus and artichokes and, and look at the different girls on the shampoo bottles. So I think food has always been a conduit for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of an experimental eater. I love, I just, I, I like to try new things and and uh, so food was always a conduit to other cultures for me. Um, so I think that made it natural to include it in, in, the, in the discovery of my adopted culture as well. And how long, how long did it take you to write each, each book? Like I'm, I'm sure they're different on their own, but how long did you find the process to write and, and add the recipes and that kind of thing? Well, you know, memoir in particular, first, right, before you can write about it, um, mm-hmm. if you're writing from your own experience. Um, I think that I, I probably spent a couple of months on each proposal, so putting together a detailed outline, um, figuring out exactly what I wanted the structure to be, and then probably another year to year and a half on each manuscript and the recipe testing. Mm-hmm. So you did the format where you put together a proposal and some sample chapters before anything, and you pitched that to agents. Yes, um, because I, I think that the most nonfiction is is sold in that in that way, at least in the in the states. So I was, you know, I had friends that had written books before that, uh, and actually who had written memoirs before that, you know, helped me. Mm-hmm. outlined the proposal and help you know knew which elements I needed to put in there and there's you know there's sample chapters there's a very detailed outline there's a marketing plan there's a comparative titles section where you kind of figure out where this book fits into other titles that have been successful um mm-hmm. of course when you're talking about France and Paris um there's a lot of you know there's a lot of books because that sparks a lot of people's interest Paris is uh, is one of those you know perennial topics exactly it always it always works (laughs) exactly exactly well everyone you're listening to literary speaking with crystal equival and today i'm speaking with author elizabeth bard when we come back we'll discuss how she published her food memoirs picnic in provence and lunch in paris navigating a writer's life of love and food in southern france and what's next for elizabeth we'll be right back Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book's publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee Quibel, and we're continuing our conversation today with Elizabeth Bard, author of Picnic in Provence and Lunch in Paris. 
Elizabeth, what was it like to write in Paris? Well, Paris is a is a great city of cafes, um, and I don't get any work done in the house. So I basically wrote my entire, well, both books, actually, in, uh, in different cafes. And uh, my neighborhood in Paris, my old neighborhood in Paris, was along the Canal Saint-Martin. Uh, so it's a really mixed neighborhood with lots of different immigrant groups and uh, you know, lots of busy commercial streets and shops. And I kind of picked a couple of cafes, and I, would, I was usually the lone woman in these cafes because they weren't sort of shishi <laughs> Uh, cafes. There was often a lot of <laughs> soccer on the television and people speaking Arabic around me. And, and I, I got a couple of, you know, very nice waiters that sort of would just take care of me. And then I sort of became a, a, an habitué of the, of the, of the different cafes. And, uh, and so they, you know, they got used to having me around and, and it came, became actually rather protective of, protective of me. Um, one cafe where I used to work was around the corner from our House. Um, it, w- it was actually the, the called Le Carillon, the the cafe that was actually attacked in the in the November attacks in in Paris. It's about 50 meters from oh. our from our apartment in Paris. Um, that was our sort of go-to place, and um, and there was a lovely Macedonian waiter who you know used to take care of, used to take care of me, and he was very friendly. And my husband <laughs> once went there with uh, on a Sunday morning with a colleague, you know, to have like a business meeting. And the, the Macedonian waiter comes up to him and says, "You know, um, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Where's your wife?" <laughs> and, um, and so his colleague said, well, you know, meaning like if you're going to do anything stupid, you better do it somewhere else because you're being watched." Um, so that's what it's it. like to. That's what it's like to write in a cafe in Paris. <laughs> well, I love that. When you ended up writing Picnic in Provence, your life had obviously changed from the early days of lunch in Paris. How did you find writing different when it came to the second book? I think Picnic in Provence, my, my second memoir, was harder. It was a harder book to write. Um, it's a slightly different voice, uh, mature because it's it's written, you know, a couple of years apart. Um, I was also, I was writing about many different issues, about professional transitions, personal transitions, uh, city-to-country transitions, particularly about becoming a mother, um, which was not an easy transition for me at all. And so I felt like it was very important, particularly uh, when I was writing about new motherhood, to really get to the bottom of that for myself. Um, I knew that my son would someday read this book, um, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was important to get to the bottom of it emotionally so that I could be responsibly honest for myself and for him uh, and and, and do it in a way that that I felt was the, the best possible and the most honest possible way that I could do it. And you know, we were talking a bit before the break about book proposals. And I know early on, I had received the advice that because I had no platform, I should write the entire book before I shopped it. But you actually went through the process of doing the book proposal. And now it's recommended for many memoirists uh, to do this. So what was what was your experience with the proposal process? Well, I, I had had a, a very, very close friend um, who I continue to to work with. Um, you know, she's my, you know, 
my my touchstone and my mentor who had written a memoir previously and she so she guided me a lot in the proposal process i had been working as a journalist for a couple of years an arts journalist so i did have some clips to show around um mm-hmm. with the proposal um i'm not sure how much good that that did um the proposal process is very useful even for some but even if you're not going to sell it off of a proposal i think the proposal process is useful because mm-hmm. it forces you to do a very very detailed outline um and really make sure that the structure and the narrative arc is is intact and really works it mm-hmm. also forces you to explore in in the sort of what they call the comparative title section where your book fits into the marketplace are there a lot of yes. books like it um how how does you know how does it fit um, into that marketplace? Is it different? Is it better? Is it an extension of? So so all of that it, it's it's a very useful exercise. And so once you had finished the proposal, how many agents did you approach? Um, I got pretty lucky. I went on a, a, a trip to New York in January of of two thousand and eight, and I saw I don't know I'd say like maybe five or six, seven, eight people. Um, and I got, and, and, and the thing about finding an agent is that there are, there are lots of different types of agents, and I think everybody looks at your idea and everybody thinks that it should be changed, but everybody thinks that it should be changed in a different way. And you really have to, a literary agent is probably one of the most, it's like having a psychiatrist, it's one of the most personal relationships <laughs> that that you can get into. Um, and so I, what I found was that people were looking at the proposal and saying, oh, this is great, but there needs to be more conflict, it needs to be more mean, it needs to be more bitchy, it needs to be more art-worldy, and everybody wanted to change it to highlight a different aspect and and honestly the you know I just got dumb luck which I've had a lot of dumb luck in my life I actually mm-hmm. met my current agent Wendy Sherman through a, a, a family friend at a shiva call so if, if people don't know what a shiva call is that's a, a, a sort of a Jewish wake mm-hmm. basically after yeah. a funeral um and an, and an old friend uh an old friend of my stepfather's had um had passed away and his the, the man who passed away, his daughter was a literary agent, and of course, my my stepfather and, and adorable said, "Oh, my daughter's writing a book," and you know, and handed, you know, telling this to to this poor widow, and of course, I'm sure that Wendy thinks, <laughs> oh, "Oh my God, another proposal that she has to read from some friend of the family," that thinking, "Oh, this is, you know, I have to be polite <laughs> about this because it's a friend of the family." And it actually turned out to be, it's been one of the most important working relationships of my life. That's amazing. So in terms of the publishing process, was there a difference? I mean, publishing food memoir especially, is there anything that somebody that's looking to write a food memoir should consider when they're about to go into this and to know, you know, the length of time it takes, you know, from beginning to, to on the bookshelf? Well, I think that you know that's a process to discuss with the publisher. I think any, like writing any book, and, and a food mem- memoir is no exception. You really have to know what you want to say because the food just has to be in a, in a food memoir, an extension of the story, right? You have to have a story that you want to get mm-hmm. across, and the food has to be reflective of those experiences. So I, I think it has to be an integral part uh, mm-hmm. of the of the story. 
And for you, you know, once you got your agent, how long did the two of you work on the book together before sending it out to editors and publishing houses? We we worked on the proposal together for about two months, and uh, and she had some really good criticisms, um, and you know, some some very interesting comments. She's a very very savvy. Um, you have to have somebody also who knows the public that you're trying to address. Um, and I, mm-hmm. particularly living in Europe, I'm uh, I'm very very cut off from the habits of the audience that I'm trying to address. So mm-hmm. to have somebody who, who really understands that um, and understands the marketplace is incredibly important. Um, so we worked on it for about two months, and then she sent it out. And uh, But she knew a good agent knows exactly who they're sending it to. They know exactly mm-hmm. who it's for. Yeah. So, you know, she knew exactly who it was for, and uh, and we I think we signed in four or five days. It was... Wow, and a basically instantaneous process with with lunch in Paris, and I've remained wow. with the same editor, Judith Klein at Little Brown, you know, since then. And so we're working on mm-hmm. the third book together now. That's so exciting. Are you allowed to tell us anything about it? Sure, sure. No, it's not you know <laughs> classified top secret. I love um, no, I, I decided. I decided that I wanted to do something that was a synthesis of everything that I had learned about French eating habits and French ingredients uh, since I'd been here. So I'm working on a on a sort of little book of tips and tricks called uh, Dinner Chez Moi, sort of 50 ways to make your kitchen more more French, and it's going to include different kinds of French ingredients that maybe a North American audience doesn't think of as readily as the French do, like leeks and lentils and almond flour and vanilla beans, and also the way that the French structure their meals, um, the, the, you know, the cheese after dinner as opposed to before dinner, the way we do it in the States, um, you know, different, different ideas for uh, the aperitif, you know, what, what the French do uh, for drinks before dinner, just you know, different ideas about how they eat with kids, okay. um, because it's they, you know, there's certainly French culture has its uh, has its problems, and, and there there are ways when there are times when the, the sort of tradition bound aspects, the dogmatic aspects of French culture can be very frustrating. But in where food habits are concerned, it's actually incredibly, incredibly healthy and useful. Mm-hmm. I know last year when I visited Paris for the first time, I felt amazing. I mean, the food and just the lifestyle itself, I came home and I was just like, oh, if I could live like that every day, you know, so it's nice to be able to have a book that can teach you how to bring that into the everyday, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, so that's that's what I wanted to do, and that's going to be coming out next April um, with Little Brown, so... So we're working on that. Um, I'm working on it right now. I'm testing testing Madeleine recipes and crepe recipes and uh, yum, <laughs> you know, salad dressings. It just you know, just really, but silly stuff that that mm-hmm. uh, particularly Americans. I don't know if it's the same in Canada. Don't seem to think about. We have a salad dressing aisle in an American supermarket, and I don't know if it's the yeah. same in uh, yes, pretty in Canada. Yeah. But the French, you know, the French, like, why would you buy a salad dressing? You know, I almost, I, I, <laughs> I was this close to calling this book French Women Don't Buy Salad Dressing. That was, yeah. you know, that was my <laughs> working title for this, for this book. Because it's simple things like that. Olive oil, vinegar, salt, and whew, there you go. 
Exactly. Sometimes it's the simplest food that has the best taste. And it's, it's like in lunch in Paris, when you were writing about, you know, the first meal that you shared with your now husband, and he was just taking bits out of the freezer. And you were like, he opens the fridge, and it looks bare to you. And he's like, Oh, there's plenty here, we can make a beautiful meal. And, and he, he makes you this amazing meal. And you're like, what's the recipe? And he's like, there is no recipe, you just make it. does that it's so I mean lovable and yet frustrating because you know he makes crepes all the time for us because he's and he makes crepes and and I every time I ask him for the recipe because I have to write this stuff down now I have to write it down in metric I have to write it down in imperial it has to be exact and uh, and and he can't help me at all you know he he doesn't know how he does it he just kind of um so he's he's terribly, you know, lovable and really unhelpful for for my recipe testing. And did you I mean you you clearly have to test the recipes and go through. Did you have any beta testers or beta readers that went through your manuscript and kind of tried some of them before you published? No, I haven't. I mean, I've had friends occasionally do it. Um you know, do do things, uh, and I've certainly had feedback from readers after the books are published, which is great. Um, it's always nice to know and to see pictures on social media of how things come out in other people's kitchens. That's always fun. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I haven't done I haven't done a specific beta testing program. What do you feel was pros- possibly the best writing advice you've? sort of ever received or would want to share with other writers? Well, I I came to writing books from the world of journalism, so I was very comfortable with being edited from the beginning, and I think it's, it's important to listen to your editors. Nobody writes in a vacuum, nobody reads a book in a vacuum, and you know, if something is unclear to an editor, it's not that you have to make the change their way, but think about how you might make their change your way. And on the flip side of that, you know, when somebody comes in or a copy editor comes in and uh, wants to change a comma that you think is super important, fight for that comma. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it may be the most important thing that's, uh, you know, in, in your work. So I think there's a, there's a balance of listening and then fighting for... Uh, for what you, for what you believe is your vision of the story, um, and the other thing that I do that's always been very helpful for me because I write in a conversational tone is that I read mm-hmm. everything aloud, everything. Mm-hmm. That's every a good. Chapter, that's every really sentence, good advice. If it doesn't, if it doesn't sound right, out it goes. Exactly. Um, that's you know it, it's it, it has to it has to you know trip off the trip off the tongue, as it were. Well, yes, and it, it's funny when you do read your work aloud. It's so different than when you're just rereading it, you know, quietly going through it because you catch all those little sort of nuances and things that may not work, you know, when someone else is reading it, they would be it would be jagged or cut off somewhere and and just some some things that you miss too. So I think that's probably the best writing advice I've ever received as well. And it's super important for editing. If people could take away one thing from Picnic in Provence, what would you hope it to be? I think that Picnic in Provence is a book about unexpected choices and about how sometimes those can be the best choices we can make. 
that's what I would mm-hmm. hope that people would take away from it. Excellent advice. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Elizabeth, from all the way across the very large pond. I am so grateful to have well, you as thank a guest. You. <laughs> Everyone, this, Elizabeth. This has been really lots of fun. Oh, I, I, I'm so glad we had so many giggles, and I would love to have you back when the third book is coming out. I'm sure people would love to hear about it again as well. Thank you. Elizabeth Bard can be found online at elizabethbard.com. That's Elizabeth, B-A-R-D.com. You can win a free copy of Picnic in Provence by visiting my website at crystalleequibel.com. That's crystal. L-E-E-Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com and sign up for our newsletter. Winners will be notified weekly on our Facebook page and be sure to tune in next week for more tips and tricks on how to write and publish your book. Thank you for listening and do keep writing. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.